Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks Downloadable Messages. This week, Lead Pastor Mike Yearly continues his seven-part series entitled The Company of the Committed, Seven Habits of a Healthy Church. And today he'll bring us the sixth message of this series entitled God-Sized Giving, The Tithe and Beyond. Well, today we're continuing the series that we've been in for a while now, Seven Habits of a Healthy Church, Company Committed. And uh, we're actually coming towards the end of this series. Today we're talking about habit number six, God-sized giving. And uh, next week we'll be talking about habit number seven, um, which is on a kingdom, uh, developing a kingdom mindset. And then the following week we'll be having what I'm calling a sacred assembly, and uh, where we'll have a chance to commit ourselves to the company that committed. And I'll tell you more about that uh, towards the end of the service. But today uh, we're talking about habit number six, uh, God-sized giving. And I'm really excited about talking about this. You know, I mentioned this last week. I know a lot of pastors don't like to talk about money. I'm not one of them. Um, and uh, I just, you know, and the reason I get excited about it is I really believe this, that Jesus um, always tells us the path to life. If you want to get the most out of life, listen to what he says. And the area of finances is no exception to that. Uh, that if you want to get the most out of life, it's very important how we handle our finances. And he talks about it a lot. In fact, Jesus says it's sort of a spiritual litmus test as to whether we're really serious about following him. I mean, as a congregation, we can talk uh, a lot about making God, our top, pleasing him our top priority, habit number one. But one of the places you find out whether we're serious or not is when it comes to our wallets and bank accounts and, and checkbook. We just got a real quick way to find out, are you really serious or are we just playing along, you know? And so um, we're going to talk about that today. I want to start with uh, Luke chapter 16, if you would. Uh, so Jesus was having a conversation with the religious leaders of his day. As often, it wasn't really going that well. And, uh, you know, these were a group of men who really saw themselves as very spiritual, very tied into God, very close to God. Jesus didn't see them as any of the above. And, and one of the reasons he had a problem with them was this whole area of finances, that they'd really never submitted this part of their life to his leadership. And so he says in chapter 16 and verse 10, he says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with, very, with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So what are you talking about? Okay, verse 11. He says, so here's the point. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth. Now, that's what, that's what Jesus calls um, our money, our bank accounts, uh, worldly wealth, because it's, it's wealth of this world. When this world's over, um, it won't matter anymore. And so then there'll be other kinds of wealth that matters in the next life. Worldly wealth is not one of them. So he says, if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, then who's going to trust you with true riches? The things I want to do in your life, he says. The, the, the ways I want to move, the way I, I want to use you and so on. Who's going to trust you with really important spiritual stuff um, if you haven't been faithful in just the basics of how you handle your checkbook? All right. Verse, tw- uh, verse 12. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, this is so interesting, because we tend to think of our property as our property. What we think of as our property, and we do with it as we please. And, and Jesus says, no, it's not really yours. Um, actually, everything you have in life, I've actually given to you. You know, it's, it's, actually, it's actually not yours. It's really mine. Um, your job is to sort of manage this, uh, uh, you know, stuff. But it's really, it's, it's really mine. You know, you may not have thought of it that way, but I gave it to you. In fact, I even gave you the ability to make wealth. I think this is so important, especially for those of us in this congregation. You've really been gifted, um, and you've risen to the top of your field. So many times, it's easy for us to see that as a result of our own giftedness. And yet in Deuteronomy 8, it says that God gives us even the ability to make wealth. And it's really interesting. So anyway, so Jesus says, if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, well, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So what he's saying is that in our spiritual pilgrimage, for every one of us, there comes a day where we decide whether we will submit our wallets to Jesus. Every one of us has to have a point in time where that area of life too, there's so many different areas of life, aren't there? And one by one, as he walks through the, the kind of the different rooms in our house, he says, okay, I'd like access to this room. And Jesus says, sooner or later, we have to decide whether we give 
him access to our, our money, our finances, if we're serious about following him. Now, this, uh, this whole emphasis on finances wasn't new with Jesus. It's something that, that God has taught his people from time began. For example, in the nation of Israel, when God established the nation, he wove generosity and giving into the very fabric of the nation. In fact, if you study the Old Testament law, there's so many instructions about finances and giving and generosity. Um, in fact, you, we kind of break it down. In fact, I've done it there for you on your note sheet. And talk about God's financial plan for Israel. Um, you can kind of break down everything God says into three categories of, of giving. When he starts this nation, God says, I really want to bless you as a nation. I want to bless you financially. But for me to bless you, I'm going to need you to do some things. And, and one of the things I need to do is to be generous and to give. And there's kind of, you can take all of, instru- all of his instructions on giving and break it down into three categories. The first one was tithes. Now, if you're a longtime church person, this is a familiar term. If you're new with all this, this might be a new term. The tithe in Hebrew, the Hebrew language, actually means a tenth. Okay, it literally means a tenth. And so we often use it in a more generic way, like our tithes. It's kind of like anything we give to the Lord is our tithe. But, but really, it's not what it means. A tithe is a tenth. And so Israel was uh, clearly taught that every year they were to take a tenth of their crops and a tenth of their herds, and they were to give it to the Lord to um, support the ministry uh, of the temple and the ministry of God's work in the nation, and also to help uh, the, with the poor, primarily though for the priests and the Levites and so on. And we won't take time to look at all the passages, but in your life group homework this week, you'll, you'll take a look at a couple of them. And if you're more curious, there's more there on your note sheet. The second area that God wanted them to give was required them to give was in the offerings. So this was over and above your tithe. There are certain times of the year where God would require them to um, swing, bring special offerings. So it could be, for example, at when the first crops of the season would come in. You were to bring your first fruits offerings. Um, when your first male son was born, you were supposed to bring an offering. Um, when you came to Jerusalem three times a year for these week-long festivals or feasts, you were always supposed to come, and it says, do not come empty-handed, you know, bring an offering. And uh, if, you were to, if you were in a jam and you prayed and said, God, would you get me out of this jam? And if you do, I will come to the temple and thank you. You were to bring a thank offering, you see. So there were several different kinds of offerings that were to be given. And then there was a third type of giving that was to be given, and that was of giving to the poor. And there was many provisions that were made for giving to the poor, and especially we see this later on in the book of Proverbs. Now, so you can see why I call this message uh, God-sized giving, the tithe and beyond. Because for Israel, the tithe was sort of the starting point, and then there was offerings and there was the poor, and it was just sort of the way you did life. And so when God starts a nation, it's so interesting to me that he weaves into the fabric of the nation generosity and giving. And he says that his blessing on them financially will depend on how they, whether they follow his instructions or not. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I, when I was preparing this message, I, I just kind of dawned on me how strange this was in a way. Now, if you've been a Christian a long time, you're kind of used to this stuff, and yes, we're supposed to give, and we understand that's a core part of our Christian life, but if you're kind of new at this, you might be wondering, you know, if you came out for the first time, it's like, well, if God wants to bless us so much, why doesn't he just bless us and let us keep more, you know? So, so let's say that he's going to bless us with $10,000. Why doesn't he just give us 10000 and let us keep it? Why give us 11000 and have to give 1000 back? Have you ever wondered that? It's like, what's, what's this thing? Why do we have to give to get? Like, what's that about, you know? Uh, uh, wouldn't it just be simpler to skip the whole giving thing, just be blessed? And we just all go home. You know, I'd say five minutes every week from the end of the message. We wouldn't have the special number. We could just, you know, get up and leave. So, so that's a question that's kind of rolling around in my mind. So why giving? Why is giving so big? Why is God so big on it? Like, what, what's so important about it? Why is it so important? So today we're going to talk about God-sized giving, habit number six. Why is giving so important? So there are your note sheet. Now, if you look ahead, you can see there's three main reasons But that was just to lull you to sleep. There's really four. Yeah. Yeah, that's right, yeah. There's really about 16. But 
but I had reduced it down to five and said, that's too much. And so I got into four, that's too much. I got into three. And then yesterday, I'm going over my notes and going, we got to get number four in there. So, uh, so we'll do four, all right? So leave some room on the back. Number one. The first reason it's so important, according to Jesus, is that giving is the path to life. In other words, if you want to get the most out of life, Jesus says a key component is generosity and giving. And he actually said that there's an opposite danger, something that can steal our life, that can kill our life. It's one of the biggest dangers in the spiritual walk, and it's the danger of materialism. Now, we know all about that in this country, don't we? Uh, This is something we struggle with. And Jesus says, hey, be very careful, because materialism can do four things to you. It can rob you of your life. It can ruin your relationships. It can blind you to what's truly important uh, in life. And it can neutralize your effectiveness for the kingdom of God. And so Jesus often talked about money and the dangers of materialism, how it can choke out the life of God in us. And he said, if you, so, if, so if you want to escape this, the path is giving. Um, one time, Jesus was approached by a couple brothers. Their dad had apparently just died, and so they were fighting over the family will. I don't know if any of you have gone through this. But it can, be, it can get pretty ugly pretty fast. And so they, they come to Jesus and, and they said, would you arbitrate this thing for us? And Jesus said something very interesting. It's there in your note sheet, Luke 12, 15. He said to them, watch out. In other words, you know, neon lights, be careful. Pay attention. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Greed is the need for more. <laughs> we always got to have more. Okay, be, be on guard against, against all kinds of greed. And here comes our sentence. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, men and women, we've, we've got to decide something right here now. We have to decide whether we think Jesus knows what he's talking about or he doesn't. One of my deepest convictions in life is Jesus never wastes words saying nice religious things that look good on plaques. I don't think he does it. I think whenever he says something that sounds like a religious thing that looks like on a plaque, there is always incredible truth there that's often counterintuitive. You know, like when he said it's, it's more blessed to give than receive? I used to hate that when I was eight years old. Yeah, it's like that verse was always quoted at Christmas time. You're just like wondering, like, who said that? You know? Oh, it's Jesus. Okay, you know. Um, but look what he says. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Now, let's, let's, let's flash that out. What he's saying is, it is not true that the more you have, the happier you'll be. That's what Jesus is saying. See, the essence of materialism is the belief that the more we get, the happier we get. That's the essence of materialism. And Jesus comes along and says, time out, that is not true. The key to life is not how much you get. But I got to tell you, this is very counterintuitive because I think if we're honest, I know it's church and everything, but let's just pretend for a minute. If we're honest, I would bet you're like me that deep down inside, I have a belief that the more I get, the happier I will be. And you can see it played out in my life all the time. And I come back and Jesus pulls me up short and says, no, 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 that's not the truth. It's not the truth about life. It's not the path to life. I think part of the reason it's hard to believe is because we've all known the rush of getting something new we really want, right? I mean, you know, ladies wearing shoes, you know, it's like, you know, we don't really understand that about you, but, but you know, it's a bad day. Buy some new shoes, Whoa, it's a good day. <laughs> wow, you know, we just solved world poverty or what? You know, it's like, I don't know, but, but we got the shoes thing down. Uh, you know, it's guys, you know, it's like you get that chainsaw. You know, it's just, life is good. You know, it's just, I don't even even cut up. I just want a chainsaw. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> J- just the sound of a chainsaw is like music to my heart. My, my heart starts beating in rhythm with the chainsaw. You know, you ever bought a new car, you know, and it's just so fun. You know, you get that new car smell, you know, you get the new house and life's going to be great. Uh, 
And we've all known that, haven't we? And so it creates this rush and it creates an appearance that the more stuff you have, the happier we'll be. But if we stop and think about it, all you have to do is look at your own life and see that possessions are like Cokes, that, that they soon lose their fizz, right? You, you, you've ever drank like a Coke that's been sitting there a few hours? It's all flat. Have you ever noticed that like our possessions are like that? Like the chainsaw that you had to have last week because it was a Husqvarna, it was amazing, now it just sits in your, your, you know, it sits in your garage. It's kind of leaking oil on your shelf, you know. It's, you know, and like, why did I get this thing? I don't have anything to cut up anyway, and, you know, maybe I can sell it on eBay, you know. It's, and so possessions are like that. They create this rush, and, and then we lose it. I, I was thinking about this, this message. You know, we, most of you know we moved up here about six or seven months ago and bought a home in Simi Valley. I wanted to turn the garage into a health club. That was my goal. And... Uh, and so, in preparation for this a few months ago, I, I'm reading through, and there's all these articles, I'm sure it was by divine appointment, that, that I was reading all these articles on these new kinds of scales that are come out, you know, that they shoot electricity through your feet and through your body, and then they tell you all kinds of things about yourself you didn't know. And just the idea of shooting electricity, I thought that could be very helpful in the mornings, just kind of, you know, getting, it's like, if, if, even if the information's wrong, you know, it's like going to jumpstart my day. And, uh, but, but, I mean, they don't just tell you your weight. I mean, how old school is that? I mean, these things, they tell you things like, um, you're, you're a bone density. I mean, I've always wanted to know that, you know? Um, they, they tell you things like your percentage of muscle you have, or how many pounds of muscle you have on your body, and, uh, how many, what's your percentage of body fat? And they even tell, I thought this was really cool, they tell you your metabolic age. So not how old your chronological age, but how old your body is, you know, according to this thing. And, and so I, I'm reading article after article about this, you know, about these new things and how reliable they are and how amazing they are. I'm a little bit expensive, but you've got to pay for good information, right? And so, and so I, I buy this one. I think it's a Tanika Iron Man, it's called. Now, I had to get the Iron Man because, you know, otherwise you feel weird buying a scale as a man. So anyway... But I get this Tanika Iron Man scale, and I can't wait for it to come and get all this information about myself. And this is going to be the key to my fitness program because I'm with this information. It's going to be so motivating to me. And so the thing comes, and the first thing, my daughter's reading the instructions because I wouldn't read them. And she, and she <laughs> says, Dad, the thing is, it's really weird. This thing, the metabolic age thing, it only goes to age 50. If your body tests over than 50, it just says 50 from there on out. Like, I don't know why, because if it says 112, you're going to kill yourself or what. But, you know, 50, it's like, you know, it's like if your body's 75, it's still going to say 50. And I'm thinking, well, what a bummer. But shoot, I'm not even 50 yet. And, you know, I've been working out for 20 years, I'm sure, you know. I mean, this is going to be awesome. It's going to affirm me, you know. So I get on the scale, it says 50. And I'm thinking, I've been waiting for weeks, Amazon, back order, back order, but the thing finally comes and it's broken. <laughs> so I have my kids, why don't you get on the scale, you know, and see what it says. They're all younger than their metabolic age, right? So it's working fine for them. So now I put the scale in the kitchen. I've gone back to my old scale in our bathroom. I mean, it tells me everything I really need to know, Right? But isn't it, haven't we all had experiences like that? You just have to have this thing. You really think that the more, if you get this thing, your life will be better. And the funny thing is, is that though all our possessions lose their fizz, that we keep coming back to the same well. It's just every week or every month, it's a new thing, right? And we're just so slow to learn this. And Jesus comes along and says, no, no, no. That's not the path to life acquiring. In fact, he says one of the key components to getting the most out of life is giving. I want you to look at a passage in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. If you come over to my house for like a welcome dessert, if you're new, we keep it there. It's a conversation piece and you can try it out. We won't even look. I also found out that I have over a quarter, of, a quarter of my body is fat, which translates into 50 pounds. 
Anyway, um, verse 19, uh, Jesus says, don't store up treasures on earth. In other words, don't buy into the myth of materialism. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Store up your treasures in heaven. We'll come back to that later today. Store up yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, now catch this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, it's a very important principle of life that whatever you give your money and your time to will capture your heart. And so if you want to control where your heart goes, if you say, you know what, I don't want to fall into the myth of materialism. I want to be clear on what's important in life. I want to keep crystal clear on this. Jesus says, well, I've got a hot tip for you then. Give to the things of the kingdom and your heart will follow your wallet. You see? Our hearts are like that. It's magnetic pull towards our treasure. Whatever you invest your time and your money in, your heart will swing around to like due north Boom, there it is, like a compass, you see? So Jesus says, you want to get the most out of life? Invest in my kingdom. Number two, a second reason to give is it's the path to growth. Um, Let me ask you a question. I think this is safe to raise your hands on. Um, How many of you want to grow and become more like Christ? Okay, pretty good. All right. Good, we're in church. That was the right answer, by the way. Um, somebody's back like, I don't know. Where's he going with this? Um, he's talking about money. It's making me nervous. I'm going to have an altar call right here. Um, automatic debits. Right, you know, uh, ATM offering. me. Put it in. Um, it's the path to growth. Um, if you study the teachings of Jesus, Jesus says one of the most important parts of becoming like him is growing in our faith and our confidence in him. In fact, if you study the Gospels, you see this over and over again. Jesus heals someone over and over. He says this, be it done to you according to your... (laughs) Gosh, what a downer. Let's try that again. Be it done to you according to your faith, right? And he says, all things are possible to him who believes. This side, I was going to talk to you, all right? (laughs) Um Yeah, so over and over again, Jesus says the key to connecting with God, the key to experiencing God's presence and power in our life is our faith, is our trust. And so when we talk about growth, one of the most important areas to grow is our faith. But have you ever asked yourself, how does faith grow? How do we grow in faith? Well, I'll tell you how you grow in faith. You grow in faith when you obey God in an area that's really risky, and then he comes through for you. That's how you grow. You stay in your boat all all your life, you're never going to grow in faith. You get out of the boat and walk on water, guess what? You grow in faith. You see, it's when we obey God in the risky areas of life that our faith grows. It doesn't grow any other way. That's how how it grows. It grows as we exercise it. Well, this is true in all areas of life. I mean, it's in any area of obedience, it's risky for you. But it's especially true in the area of finances because the area of finances is so cotton-picking practical. You know, it's like, here's your checkbook, you know, are we going to write out the check or not? And God, are you going to take, you're going to find out real quick whether you're going to sink or swim on this, uh, you're out of the boat, right? And so it's a very practical way. Um, I know, I've looked back at uh, in my life and just seen the ways that God has asked us many times to get out of the boat financially and, and to walk on water and, and, and just how God has strengthened our faith through that. Um, I was thinking, you know, when we got married, Felt very clearly God was getting us to marry, but three weeks before uh, we were married, I didn't have a job. Um, and we was like, walk on water time, you know? Are you going to trust me in this? Um, I remember uh, after we were married a couple of years, moving back to Chicago in the dead of winter with $600 in our pocket. Didn't seem like a real smart move, but it felt like this is what God was calling us to do. I remember a time when I needed a job really badly, had a great offer on the table from a company, but it would have required sacrificing my integrity. And I had to turn it down, only to have God within a week provide a better job. You know, um, I can think of times uh, at the previous church I was at, a couple times we were in building projects where I really, Lynn and I both felt God wanted us to clear out our kind of long-term savings to help with these building projects. Things that were going to go, the money that was earmarked for our daughter's weddings, um, or uh, their college expenses. And, uh, okay, so, you know, they didn't have much of a wedding. 
No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, uh, and, and then to watch God provide for those things, you know, uh, over the years. And so we've seen this happen in our life, how many times one of the areas God will ask you to get out of the boat in your life is in the area of finances because it's so practical, you know. And it's risky, isn't it? I've also seen it in our life in the area of giving, though. I remember when Lynn and I first got married, we were really poor. I mean, the kind of poor where you go to the store and don't buy Kleenex because that's a luxury. You know, you tell your company, you need to blow your nose, there's bathrooms that way. You know, use the toilet paper, it's cheaper. And so we were really poor. And, and uh, I'd come, grown up in a family that was a tithing family, you know, giving 10% off the top. Um, that I, Christian family, I understood that principle. Um, Lynn was not from a Christian family. This was all new to her, probably like to some of you here. It's like, and she was like, 10%, are you kidding me? Have you figured out what 10% is? That's a lot of money. And, uh, and yet we were both hungry for God, wanted to please him. And so we began to pray about this. And my issue was, well, I know in the Old Testament it's supposed to be 10%, but is it like a New Testament thing? I, you know, that was kind of my issue. Her issue was, uh, you know, was more like, that's just a lot of money. Um, and so, uh, well, I guess it was my issue too, but, but uh, anyway, but I remember real distinctly one day being in church, and I wasn't on staff, uh, but we were in this church, it was a church we loved, it was a church we were growing in, church we believed in, God was doing good things there, and I remember we'd been praying for wisdom, and I remember the day where I was just sitting there, it just dawned on me one day, hey, I'm letting these people pick up the check for my spiritual life. I'm growing I'm getting ministered to. This is my church. It's going to raise my family. But I'm letting someone else pick up the tab after dinner every week and saying, thank you very much. I'm not doing my part. And God used that to speak to me and say, Mike, you've got to do your part. You know, This is your part. This, this is my kingdom. We're on this thing together. You've got to do your part. And so we began to tithe early on, even though we're young and poor, and just to watch God bless that over the years. I, I remember the time when... Um, just for our second daughter was born, or no, she'd been born, I guess. Um, and uh, Lynn hurt her back. She was a nurse, and she actually made more money than I did at the time. We were a two-income uh, family. And she uh, hurt her back, and so it turned out to be permanent. She wasn't able to work anymore. That was 18, 20 years ago as a nurse. And uh, we had just bought a house. And you know how it is when you buy a house, you stretch to get into a house. And we had just bought the house, and it was like, what are we going to do? And it watched God come through and provide for us, you know, and, and take care of our needs. And so here's the point. If you want to grow and be like Jesus, Jesus is one of the areas is our finances because it's there we're going to learn how to grow in faith. Um, and in fact, this is one of the, the few areas in the Bible. It doesn't happen very often where God says, in fact, I want you to test me in this. I, I, I want you to put me to a test. See if I'm telling the truth. Check me out. Uh, there's a little book in the Old Testament. If you don't have tabs or you don't know your Bible really well, go to the table of contents. You'll never find it. It's called Malachi or Malachi for the new Christians. <laughs> he was an Italian prophet. <laughs> Chapter 3. Let me, let me set the stage while you're turning there. Um, Israel was going through a time in their national history, they weren't really walking with God in a whole variety of ways. But one way is they were not following God's financial instructions. They were not bringing the tithes, the offerings, and taking care of the poor. And so God was upset with them for a bunch of reasons. He wanted them to return to him and into intimate relationship and to be one with him. But um, they were far from God. And so in chapter 3 and verse 7, he's talking to them about how they need to return. And there's several different issues in the book of Malachi, not just like one issue of money, but it was an important one as well. And in verse 7, at the very end of the verse, last uh, sentence of the verse, it says, but you ask, how are we to return? Okay, God, you're telling us we need to return to you. What does that look like practically? Look at the uh, right above it, the next to last sentence in verse 7. God has said, return to me, and I will return to you. That's the message of the whole Bible. You know, if, if we're far from God, um, it's because we've moved. And he says, return to me, I'll return to you. But you say, well, how are we to return? He says, well, will a man rob God? He says, you know, do you think you're going to get away with ripping me off? 
How do you think we can be close when you're ripping me off? So they really didn't get this concept that all their stuff belonged to him anyway. They thought it was theirs to spend or not spend. And so they say, well, what do you mean? How do we rob you? And he says, well, in the tithes and offerings. See those two kinds of categories there, tithes and offerings? He says, you're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe. You know, don't bring halfway. Don't do kind of a, a, a you know, half-baked approach. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. In other words, bring it into the temple. But notice this. He says, test me in this. One of the few places in the Bible says, test me. Test me. Try, check me out. Get out of the boat. Try, try out the water. Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. Have you ever felt like no matter how much money you make, there's never enough? (laughs) It's like things just keep breaking. You know, you never get ahead. Well, that was happening in Israel and God said it was his doing. They weren't honoring him with their money. And so God said, I'm just going to make it not last. You know, your 50,000 mile tires are always going to wear out at 30,000 like mine did last week. Okay. (laughs) I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and uh, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit. Verse 12, the nations will call you blessed and you'll be a delightful land. And so if you want to grow in your faith, this is one where one place God says, test me in this. Try me out. See if it's not true that I will bless you. Now, number three. This leads to number three, which number three is it's the path to blessing. In other words, all through the Bible, God consistently says, I want to bless you financially, but in order to do that, you're going to have to trust me and step out in faith, and you're going to have to give like I I ask you to, and then I will bless you. Now, there's a false teaching out there, sort of a health and wealth gospel. And basically, the teaching goes like this. God wants everyone to be rich. And so if you give to God, he'll give back more to you. You use a small shovel, he'll use a bigger shovel. And you just keep this going on. It's sort of a spiritual investment scheme. And it's a false teaching. The Bible never teaches that, that God wants us all to be rich. Never teaches that. But the Bible does say that God wants to meet all of our needs And it does say that he wants to bless us financially and prosper us financially. And the Bible also says that that's always tied to our giving. Very clear. For example, in Proverbs 3, there you know, she'd honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crop. In other words, off the top giving. You don't wait to the end of the season, see how much crop comes in. You, You give off the top, first of the crop. And he says, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will will uh, brim over with new wine. A New Testament, there's a passage you'll be looking at this week, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 in your life groups. It's a passage where the Apostle Paul is traveling through Gentile churches, taking a collection for the poor Christians back in Jerusalem, the, the Jewish Christians. He's writing to Corinth ahead of time to get this offering ready for him to come. And he writes to him, and he's encouraging them to be generous as they give. And here's what he says there in your note sheet. He says, he uses an agricultural metaphor. And he says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. He says, you know, if you give little to God, you put 10 seeds of corn in the ground, you're going to get 10 stocks, most out of, of corn. But he says, if you sow more, you're more generous, then God will give you more uh, back. And it's clearly financial context there. No question about it. Uh, Billy Graham, you know, one of my heroes. What a, what a guy. Um, but uh, anyway, he, he has this quote there. We have found in our home, as have thousands of others, that when we tithe, God's blessing on the nine-tenths helps it go farther than the, the ten-tenths without his blessing. If tithing was appropriate under the law, it's even more so in this age of freedom and grace. Try giving the tithe and more and joy, uh, with joy and even abandon, and you'll see, you'll see. And so it's a path to blessing. Now, number four, remember there's a fourth point? And you're like, uh-oh. Hey, you weren't taking notes, I was watching. You got plenty of room there. Number four, it's a path to significance. 
This was the one that I kept, I kept taking it out, throwing it back in, taking it out, throwing it back in. It's just so important. I just didn't think I have time to talk about it. But I finally said, well, if we go over, we go over. <laughs> You're like, I'm not sure it's such a good decision. But anyway, uh, no, it's really a truth because, you see, each one of us has a built-in need and desire to do something that will last forever. Has it ever just bummed you out? You, you think about dying and, and like what happens to your money? Like you work your whole life to put food on the table and you, and you get to the end of your life and now all that money's gone and any money that you have left you can't take with you. I mean, it's sort of like Monopoly, right? End of the game, it all goes back in the box. Doesn't matter whether you have boardwalk or not. Doesn't matter whether you're all mortgaged. They said, it doesn't matter. It's like Job, naked I came out of the womb, naked I go back, can't, can't take it with me. Never bummed you out. Work all our life for what? And Jesus comes along and says, I'll tell you what, you can't take it with you, but you can do electronic transfer before you go. <laughs> now, this doesn't work. This does not work after you're dead. It's back in the box. But he says, when you invest in my kingdom, you can do electronic transfer. When you're there, you're going to have a big bank account there. It's going ahead of you. And Jesus talked about tr- laying up treasure in heaven, didn't he? The Apostle Paul builds on this. And I want you to look at this passage. It's 1 Timothy chapter 6. Wow, wouldn't you like to be part of something that's going to pay dividends forever? Wouldn't you like to be a part of it? And you're in heaven one day, and you get to meet people that came to know Jesus because of you. You're going to, you're going to get to meet people that, that grew amazingly, and they touched other people's lives because of you. You see, I want to be a part of something like that. I want to find something that I can invest my money in that when I die, it won't quit paying dividends. I want to figure out some way to invest in something great that's going to make a difference forever. And when I get there, I can say, I bought that. I paid for that. I was a part of that. You see, and this is an incredible opportunity God gives us is to partner with God in eternity. To do something now that will last forever. People coming to Christ. People being healed. People being touched. God's kingdom being advanced. So Paul writes to young Timothy, who's pastoring this congregation in Ephesus. And he says to him in chapter 6 and verse 17. He says, Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world. Now, some of you are thinking right now, hey, cool, I'm off the hook. (laughs) But can I tell you something? If you drove or rode in a car here today, you are wealthier than 90% at least of the people in the world. The wealth that we have here and take for granted is unbelievable. I just wonder what Paul would say to us in this country, the way we spend our money, me included. Verse 17. He probably wouldn't like that scale thing, but anyway. Anyway, verse 17. There's always eBay. Um, Verse 17, he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to get arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to hope, put their hope in God. Who, catch this, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I love that. In all seriousness, God loves giving us scales. You know, it's, God blesses us with things. He wants to enjoy them. You see it all through his word. When he gives us nice stuff and cool stuff, it's a blessing, and we should enjoy it. But he says also, command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. Catch this. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. You see what he's saying? He's saying, when you use your money for God's kingdom, you are doing an electronic transfer that's getting you there, it's going to beat you there. Now, what does that look like exactly? I don't know exactly what it looks like, but do you think you're going to be disappointed? Do you think you're going to get there and say, I, I gave sacrificially to lay up treasures in heaven and this is what I get? Oh, what a bummer. 
Do you really think that Jesus is going to give you something disappointing? No, no, no. He says, you can't take it with you, but you can transfer it now. And then I love what he says next. He says, tell people to do this so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Wow. That's where he started off. It's a path to life, isn't it? You want to know how to get the most out of life? Paul says, then learn to be generous and learn to give and learn to transfer money ahead of time. And he said, guess what? You will find out that you, every time you give, you will begin to get more of life. You'll begin to get the kind of life that I came to give you because that's who God is. He's a giving God, you see. And so when we act in his nature and the way he is, we partake of his life. Now, let's wrap this thing up. You know, God has given us an incredible opportunity here at Rocky Peak. I've talked to you about this many times before, that I just believe that God's hand is upon this church. I believe that God has amazing things planned. He wants to use us to touch this area, these valleys that we serve, to touch the world. I I really believe that. I believe his destiny is on this church. I, I really, truly believe that. But I also know this, that if we want to live lives of significance as a church, it will take all of us doing our part that we cannot make a difference in the ministry if we're not willing to give of our money. It's just a bottom line thing. It's, it's the way it works. It's always worked that way. Jesus' time, Israel's time, our time. So what does it mean to be part of the company that committed? We signed that banner in a couple of weeks. Well, it means that first of all, we bought into Jesus and we've surrendered our wallets and we, we come to him and say, what do you want me to do? That's the basic of every habit. What do you want me to do in this financial area of my life? We surrender it. We say, I know I can't serve God in money, so I'm going to, whatever you show me what to do, I'm willing to obey. That's where it begins in this habit number six. But let me break it down even farther, because I I bet there's at least four kinds of people in this room. No, there's probably more than that. But let me talk to four of you. There might be some kind you just don't really care, so we'll just skip that. But let's say for those of us here that care, you say you really, you want to follow Jesus in this I think there's four kinds of people in this room. Let's see where you stand. Number one, some of you, you've been doing the tithe and beyond God's safe giving. It's part of your life. It's what you do. You've done it for years. And, and God just wants to say, God bless you. Um, you know, um, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm pleased with you. There are times in our life we don't need to hear any more instructions. We just need to hear him say, well done. Nothing else right now. If there's something new, I'll let you know. But right now, you're, you're doing great. People asked me last week, uh, people have asked me, well, do you think it matters whether we give every week or once a month or online or in the offering plate? And I don't think it matters. You know, it's like, just, just do it. And, and I think there's a lot of you here who've been faithfully doing this. And, and God just says, well done. That's it. It's your message for the day. Go home feeling great. You know, just feel his pleasure with your obedience. There's a second kind of person here that you're not really giving uh, right now, or, or maybe you're giving, but just not very significantly. Maybe this whole concept of the tithe is really like huge and new to you. You're kind of like Lynn was 30 years ago when we first talked about it. You've got to be kidding me. And yet at the same time, the Holy Spirit is talking to you, and inside, you know what that thing that happens when the Spirit's talking to you, and there's just like, like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, that his words were burning within us, you know, and there's something going on, and you sense God's calling you to step up to the plate. For some of you, it might be that, that you want to step out in absolute faith and trust and start giving that 10% and trust him for that. For others of you, it might be that, yes, that's what he wants you to do and he's calling you to do that, but he's giving you more grace and he's saying, let's start, you, know, you can start smaller, but let's get there in a couple of years. Start with 2% or 4% or 6% and get it up there and then go beyond, you know? That's between you and him. But you're the second category of person. You're a person that, as I've been speaking, as I'm talking about this, or this week as you're thinking and praying about it, God is going to talk to you about this is an area of your life you need to give to him. Okay? That's the second kind of category. A third kind of category is the kind of person that you're here and you would love to give, and if it was up to you, you would start giving immediately. In fact, you would have done it long uh, before, perhaps, but you're perhaps in a marriage that you really don't have control over that. I was in the pastor's class a few weeks ago and I had one lady say, I would love to tithe. My husband's not a believer. And so what should I do? He's not open to that. And I said, well, honor your husband. Honor your husband. Because you'll learn another principle in 2 Corinthians 9 when you study it this week where the apostle Paul says, 
when the willingness is present, the amount of the gift is not as important. It, it's the willingness of your heart. And so if you're in a situation like that, I told her a story about this one lady that uh, as a friend of uh, ours from our previous church, she came to Christ a few years ago and just so desperately wanted to give. And yet her husband was not a believer and, and he wasn't open to that. And so we talked about the willingness thing. And I said, is there any creative way you could do this? Is there any way that you do have control over your finances? Any areas that's discretionary money that you could give out of that you're already spending and he wouldn't mind? And she said, well, you know, I go to Starbucks all the time. <laughs> you know, so they should go two, three times a day. <laughs> I said, shoot, you know, that would support our new building project. I mean, that right there. And so she prayed about it. She felt God was calling her to give up her Starbucks so she could give that discretionary money. And you know what? Here's the honest truth. I think for her it was probably a bigger sacrifice than many of us do in the tithe, you know? And, and I think God was pleased with that. And so if you're in that situation, I don't want you to feel like I can't be part of the company that committed because I don't have control over that. And No, no, no. It's your heart we're after here. If you're willing to do whatever God tells you and there are your finances and your willingness is there, then you're in. You know, you're where this church is going. And number seven, I mean, uh, number four. <laughs> you're like, whoa, did I fall asleep or what? Just missed three there. Okay, this last one, this excites me. Number four, this is for people that you've been doing the tithe, maybe beyond for years. And uh, it's part of your lifestyle. But God's going to call you to something new. God's going to expand your world. God wants to do more life stuff in you. He wants to give you more of life. And he's going to begin to put a passion in you for giving. It's, it's beyond the 10%. It's beyond the offerings. He's going to expand your world. He's going to call you to new kinds of giving. I read a great article recently about Rick Warren, uh, you know, purpose-driven life guy. His books now, all his books have sold over 28 million copies. And you can imagine, I mean, he just made, you know, big-time bucks off those books. And he and his wife sat down when all that money started flowing in a few years ago and they made a decision. And their decision was to not change their standard of living but to continue to live at their same level but to expand their level of giving. And they decided to start doing a reverse tithe that they would live off of 10% of their income and they would give away 90% of their income. C.S. Lewis, one of my great heroes in life, you know. Did you know Narnia's coming out? Yes. <laughs> December 9th, but who's counting? Uh, uh, C.S. Lewis, two-thirds of his income he would give to the Lord. Why? Because these are men who are probably ahead of the game. And they understand that when Jesus said, blessed are those who give, it's better to give than to receive, he wasn't making a plaque. They've tapped into that. I feel like I'm just a learner. I'm a beginner at this stuff. You know, One of the areas of my life I really feel like I've got stuff to learn about it, is giving to the poor. Tithing got that done. You know, Been doing that for 30 years or whatever. God, that's just wired. Don't even think about that anymore. But I've got a hunch that God's going to be good teaching me some more stuff about giving to the poor. And I hope he does. And, I'm, I'm, and it, I, I feel very strongly that the Holy Spirit leads us. We wait for his leading. We wait for his timing. But it's something that's in my prayer list all the time, you know. And so for some of you here, you've been doing the tithe thing, but God has more for you. And guys like Rick at C.S. Lewis, they're paving the way for us. They're inviting us to a higher level of living. And I don't want to leave this message without category number four. Because it's you people that are going to the gift of giving that God calls. You're going to be the models for the rest of us. You're going to teach us how to move into that level of living. You're going to pave the way. It's one of the marks of a healthy church. Men and women, we cannot do what Jesus wants us to do in this community and in the world without every one of us doing, being faithful in our finances. We cannot do it. And so we got to decide as a church, are we serious about following Jesus or are we just playing games? And like Jesus said, this is a spiritual litmus test. We're going to find out whether we're serious about pleasing him or not in this whole area of finances. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you so much for your word. And thank you especially because it teaches things we would never figure out on our own. God, who would think that the path to life has been giving away our stuff? None of us would figure that out. By nature, we're going to hoard and hold on and build bigger and want more and always something new and better. And you come along and say, no, 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 no. A person's life isn't about the abundance of possessions. It's not what it's about. Jesus, we're just going to be very honest here that we have a hard time believing you on that one. We've been stuck in a society all our lives that's just so materialistic. It's just part of our blood. We don't even think about it. But Lord, we pray that you'd help, help us to learn this. You'd increase our hearts. You'd give us hearts, Lord, for reaching those who don't know you. You'd give us a heart, Lord, to invest in something that'll last forever. You give us a heart for your kingdom that we would be willing to sacrifice for the sake of your kingdom. And Lord, we pray for that as a grace because your word says it is a grace, it is a gift of giving. That you graced the Macedonian churches, you put it in their heart to be overflowingly generous. God, we pray for that grace at Rocky Peak. We pray you'd grace us with the gift of giving. We pray this in your name. Amen. May the Lord be your light in your life this week. Um, he is called the one. It said, he who was rich became poor so that we might share in his wealth. That verse is right smack dab in the middle of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. It's talking about financial giving. He's the model. I mean, the guy lived in the nicest gated community in the universe. And he moved to one of the poorest spots on our globe to be born in a cave. Why? Because he's a giver. And when God gets hold of our hearts, guess what? We become givers too. May God grace you with a gift of giving this week. And may you have open hands and like the song said, give him your everything this week. And then just do what he shows you to do, like in any area of your life. God bless you. We'll see you next weekend.